Welcome to Voices of ASEAN, a platform built for you where we connect shakers and movers of this region to one another. Business, lifestyle, people, perspectives, news, and the soul of the people from all over Southeast Asia. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Beatrice, and welcome to another episode of Voices of ASEAN. Today, we continue our series, The Diplomat, where we showcase ambassadors from all over ASEAN with His Excellency Ong King Yong, the former Secretary General of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. His Excellency started his diplomatic career as a charge d'affaires at the Singapore Embassy in Riyadh and has since represented Singapore in many countries, including Malaysia, the US, Nepal, and India. Currently, he is the non-resident High Commissioner to Pakistan and non-resident ambassador to Iran, and is the one of only three ambassadors at large with Singapore's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. His Excellency Ong is also the Executive Deputy Chairman of the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies, or RSIS, at the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore where he also serves as Director of the Institute of Defence and Strategic Studies. Speaking on his experience in the diplomatic service and Singapore's relations with ASEAN and the rest of Southeast Asia, joining us live from Singapore here is His Excellency Ong King Yong. Hello Ambassador, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Ambassador, let's plunge straight into it. Tell us about the highlights of your career as the Secretary General of ASEAN and representing Singapore as an ambassador. Well, when I was in ASEAN, we settled two big things. Mm -hmm. uh, we formalized the ASEAN community. Okay. And as you all know, ASEAN community, uh, we have three pillars mm -hmm. political and security cooperation, mm -hmm. economic integration and also for social cultural development and cooperation. Okay. So that is under the ASEAN, chart, uh, ASEAN community. Then the second most important thing is that we finish our drafting and uh, uh, promulgation of the ASEAN Charter. Okay. Uh, the two big C's as I call them, uh, community and charter, mm -hmm. uh, they were settled during the period 2003 to 2008. Uh, eight. Okay. So uh, those are the two uh, things that we have since been working on and uh, ASEAN member states are still uh, going through different aspects of uh, the uh, community building as well as uh, holding on to the principles uh, included, uh, promulgated in the ASEAN Charter. This is the little booklet. Uh, it's the ASEAN Charter. It's, well, that's uh, the, very, very what is the core of it? What's the core essence of the ASEAN Charter, uh, Mr. Ang? There are three things in the ASEAN Charter. One is that we are all independent member states. Okay. Therefore, we have our own national identity, mm -hmm. national uh, interests, and from there we have our national position. However, we agree that for ASEAN, we will find common ground mm -hmm. and uh, proceed as ASEAN in various sectors and on different issues. 
The second thing that we did was to spell out all our uh, existence as a ASEAN organization, as an ASEAN organization. Mm -hmm. uh, so you hear often about the principle of non-intervention in domestic affairs mm -hmm. or internal affairs. Yes. Yeah. The third thing that we did was to spell out the role of the Secretary General and the various sectors mm -hmm. uh, under the ASEAN Community Building. Mm -hmm. So we have for the first time a clearer uh, understanding of what the ASEAN Secretary is about Mm -hmm. uh, how is it different from the ASEAN Secretary General? Mm -hmm. In the old days, the ASEAN Secretary General was titled or designated Secretary General of the ASEAN Secretariat. Okay. So people think that the Secretary General was just a chief cup. Mm -hmm. But actually, the Secretary General of ASEAN is a specific appointment. Mm -hmm. He has his own uh, protocol ranking. He is regarded as someone with ministerial status. And he is uh, always sitting in ministerial meetings with other ministers of ASEAN. Uh, and he would serve the ASEAN leaders at the leadership summit mm -hmm. as the secretary general and reporting into the leaders and also taking their instruction to send it off to the various ASEAN sectors and ASEAN ministerial committees. So like the prime minister of ASEAN, sort of like? No, no, we <laughs> don't call ourselves that. We but are just the, the, uh, one of the uh, chief executive uh, working for this regional body. Okay. And uh, it was a bonus for the leaders to accord the Secretary General of ASEAN what we call the protocol of a ministerial rank. So uh, on our own, we as Secretary General uh, would be able to visit other uh, regions, other uh, countries to promote our ASEAN uh, agenda, mm -hmm. uh, talk to other countries outside of ASEAN on the basis of uh, development plan, cooperation activities, so on and so forth. Mm. So we have the mandate, uh, we means the ASEAN Secretary General has the mandate to conduct some of this business, mm -hmm. but decision and policy matter always go back to the ministers, mm -hmm. uh, in particular the foreign ministers of all the ASEAN member states, I see. Uh, they are the basic uh, care, uh, 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 ethical of the uh, uh, ASEAN organization. Mm. Yeah. So we, we uh, listen to the ASEAN foreign ministers in their deliberation and then we make proposal for them to consider mm -hmm. and it goes up to the ASEAN leaders if um, a decision is required from them. So when you said, um, uh, Ambassador, that there are common grounds that all the ASEAN member states could work together because ASEAN is quite different from how the EU works, right? The EU is far much more consolidated in what they do. So ASEAN is still, you have your autonomy and uh, you have your own currencies. But then you're saying that there's some common grounds with which member states work together and that benefits them. Could you tell the audience what are some of these common grounds? Well, for example, we work together as 10 member states in the organization promoting uh, what we call free trade agreements. Okay. So before we sit down and negotiate with the Republic of China or the uh, Japanese or Koreans or Australian, New Zealanders, New Zealanders and Indians, mm -hmm. we discuss among ourselves, mm -hmm. the 10 countries, what would be our basic position for, say, the ASEAN-Korea Free trade agreement. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then we will go into negotiation with the Republic of Korea mm -hmm. and come to a formal conclusion. We sign the document uh -huh. and that ASEAN Republic of Korea free trade agreement will govern our trade relations, investment flows with the uh, Koreans. And all of us in the ASEAN member states will uh, follow what is provided in the uh, state agreement. I see. So that means as, a, as 10 countries, you have more lobbying leverage than you want to uh, do. Then, yeah. Ultimately, having 10 countries together uh, will give us the uh, greater weight mm. and, as you say, you know, more leverage. Mm. Yeah. And uh, most recently, in fact, last year, 2021, yep. a very significant event took place in ASEAN, which has not been very well covered in international media or even the regional media. Mm -hmm. And that is the coming into uh, force of the uh, RCEP, Regional Economic uh, Cooperation uh, Partnership. Okay. Yeah. RCEP, yeah. Uh, regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, that with what it stands for. Uh, RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. It consists of the 10 ASEAN countries mm -hmm. together with China, Japan, Korea, mm -hmm. Australia, and New Zealand. So it is a very significant package. And mind you, uh, it is more significant because in the case of uh, China, Japan, and Korea, they do not have their own bilateral free trade agreement. Oh, okay. So what they do is now they have this uh, trilateral uh, agreement inside the what we call the RCEP, yeah. So it is easier for uh, China, Japan, Korea to meet under the RCEP than if they are required to meet on their own. They have been talking among themselves, the three countries, to do a uh, free trade agreement, but not much progress has been achieved since there are so many uh, specific bilateral problems between, say, China and Korea, or between Japan and Korea, and so on and so forth. But under the RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, we all sit together, uh, ASEAN 10 members, and China, Japan, Korea, mm -hmm. uh, Australia, and New Zealand. So it is uh, actually a very remarkable uh, achievement on the part of ASEAN, bringing together these uh, partners to form this uh, partnership. Uh, basically, we designed it to integrate the economy so that we have more trade and investment flow among us with us. Yeah. So the RCEP is a brainchild of ASEAN? Yes, yes. Oh, I see. So it's ASEAN. driven by ASEAN. It has nothing to do with the other people. Well, they talk about uh, what you call uh, uh, free trade agreement for the Asia-Pacific or free trade agreement for the Indo-Pacific. No, no, no. Mm. What started, uh, how this thing was started was the aim of uh, ASEAN to bring together the respective ASEAN Free Trade Agreement with China. I see. Respective uh, Free Trade Agreement that we did with Japan, mm -hmm. and Korea, South Korea, mm -hmm. Australia, and New Zealand. Mm. Uh, if you look at the history of such uh, free trade negotiation, uh, it took place over a period of maybe 10 years. Mm. So at different times when we conclude, say, ASEAN-China mm -hmm. Agreement, we reach a certain understanding about something. Mm. But five years later, we reach an agreement with Australia for the ASEAN-Australia Free Trade Agreement. Mm. 
Mm. And a few years later, we did something with uh, ASEAN uh, South Korea, Republic of Korea. Mm. So you imagine five different sets of free trade agreement. Mm. ASEAN with China, separately ASEAN with Japan, mm. another one ASEAN with Republic of Korea, another one ASEAN Australia and ASEAN New Zealand. I have a right. question. Is there a reason why India is not in there? Because it's, it's huge. It's a huge trading partner. It's yeah, it's better to stay out. We have an ASEAN India free trade agreement. Ah, but they decided to stay out because they cannot agree with uh, China on what uh, benefits uh, China and India uh, will exchange under the RCEP. So, mm. even though they participated in the negotiation right from the beginning until the end, mm -hmm. uh, they were there. India, mm. but the final one minute, as we call it, they decided they were not signed. Oh, that's whatever true. reason they have. So you know, we we in ASEAN are very disappointed. But well, that is India's uh, decision. So bear in mind the way in which we organize this RCP uh, is to merge all the important elements of our respective free trade agreement with the five big guys, namely China, Japan, Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. Then we synchronize our language. We have uh, more uh, common definitions of certain uh, terminology and certain benefits that we share with one another under this kind of agreement. Yeah. And so after we finish the negotiation uh, in January uh, this year, uh, this RCEP is really in force. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it is actually a very huge uh, free trade agreement. Yeah, one of the largest the world have ever seen. But mm. uh, due to other distractions, like for example, uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, we don't get a lot of uh, um, uh, headline coverage. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. And the fact is, however, the fact is. Uh, on the ground, things are moving and uh, business and companies are starting to tap into the provision of the RCEP. And the, what is interesting in the RCEP is that it is actually uh, a very uh, contemporary agreement because when we negotiated the various activities and elements inside the uh, partnership, uh, digital economy was flourishing. Mm. So we have introduced many uh, useful uh, uh, principles and uh, uh, operational uh, framework for things like e-commerce and uh, how do we tap into the so-called digital economy. Okay. Of course, they, this provision with regard to the digital dimension uh, are still very broad and you need to zero in on specific elements between all these signatories among the signatories, mm -hmm. but we have already incorporated many of the uh, consideration and operating principles inside the RCEP. Mm -hmm. So, if we study this uh, RCEP in depth and through all the various chapter, it is actually a very uh, uh, what I call uh, current, very uh, uh, applicable agreement across uh, the whole ASEAN plus China, Japan, Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. We hope India will come in, but uh, so far, 
uh, they skip the signing ceremony and they say they cannot sign because they have bilateral issues with the Chinese authorities. Could you share with the audience what was their issue? Basically, uh, India wanted to have more access to the Chinese market. Okay. And the Chinese side uh, 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 have certain rules and regulations which hamper the export of India into China. So, mm. yeah. but these, these are the kind of issues that China have with Japan, China have with Korea, and China have with Australia and some of our ASEAN economy like Indonesia. Mm. But in the course of the negotiation for the RCEP, uh, all these uh, uh, difficulties were looked at mm-hmm. and appropriate uh, compromise were made. Mm-hmm. And finally, the relevant chapters in the partnership agreement, the RCEP, were drafted in a manner which addressed all the concerns. Yeah. So, in the case of China and India, both sides were not ready to settle on some of the uh, wishes the other side have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, they have delayed uh, uh, coming together. So, as of today, the RCEP has basically uh, 10 ASEAN member states mm-hmm. yeah, and the five uh, uh, East Asian and Pacific uh, partners, namely China, Japan, Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. Plus 15 countries. Yes. So, um, from RCEP, I'd like to talk about the highlights. Is there anything that uh, any exciting uh, moments that you like to share with us in your career as Secretary General of ASEAN is not often that we get to meet the Secretary General of ASEAN. So I'm sure the audience would like to know something exciting or a highlight or an achievement that you want to share with the audience. Well, mainly the job involves traveling from place to place, yeah, talking to different officials in ten ASEAN countries. And ASEAN has 10, what we call dialogue partners. Mm. Uh, all the major economy of the world, they happen to be our dialogue partners. USA, Canada, mm-hmm. EU, and all the big East Asian economies, India, mm. uh, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, these are all our dialogue partners. And then over the last 50 years, we have also have what we call development partners. Uh, Switzerland, Norway, uh, we have a smaller economy uh, associating uh, themselves with us. We call them sectoral partners. So altogether, we have a big grouping of uh, members of the global community. So in the job as ASEAN Secretary General, uh, we will have to deal with all these what we call external relations. Yeah. And if there are anything specific, we bring it back to the respective ministerial body, ASEAN, which will agree or disagree, and then we enter into the next stage of engagement. So the job involves a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, these days, the traveling part might be cut here because of the COVID-19 yeah. uh, pandemic. But also another development is that when we first started, we agreed to hold meetings across the ASEAN region. Mm-hmm. The idea is to let different ASEAN uh, policymakers and officials uh, visit one another and see the reach, the geography of ASEAN, the characteristics of different ASEAN countries. Mm-hmm. Now we have been together more than 55 years, so we are saying, okay, uh, we have our meeting 
at the headquarter. The headquarter is the ASEAN Secretary uh, in Jakarta. So I think in the coming years, we will still travel more frequently though to Jakarta okay. and less frequently to the other fancy ASEAN uh, <laughs> control center or uh, big, big city. So, Last question. Sorry. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. So, so traveling and visiting the region uh, is a fascinating aspect of the Secretary General's job. But actually, we travel to all these places in order to serve as the resource person. Remember the term resource person. We are not a policy maker. We don't make decisions for ASEAN. ASEAN, you mentioned just now about the EU. ASEAN is a intergovernmental organization. Yeah? Yeah. EU is really uh, a separate kind of international body yeah? where nationalism is minimized. Yeah? And uh, everybody uh, has to work within the uh, authority given to the European Commission. Yeah. So on. Yeah. ASEAN remained ten individual government. Yeah. And we agreed on certain things as ASEAN, but we still have our own respective national policy, national position. So this is a complication in contemporary times. Like today. People ask, why is there no common ASEAN position on this crisis in Myanmar or the crisis in Ukraine mm. or the crisis wherever? Yeah, it is uh, possible in the case of Myanmar, we have a, a ASEAN leaders uh, meeting uh, last April and then we have a common uh, uh, understanding. We call it the five-point consensus. But in the case of uh, uh, Ukraine, the latest crisis that hit the international community, we don't have a consistent uh, ASEAN line across all the 10 countries. Each of us have our own respective uh, statement. Yeah, Of course, there is a generic ASEAN uh, paragraph in the uh, foreign minister's uh, uh, recent meeting. Yeah, But those are what we call uh, general and somewhat anodyne, yeah? because at that time when the foreign minister met, the crisis was not yet a, a full-blown situation. Mm. So since then, the ASEAN uh, member states have each issued their own uh, statement. And uh, in the case of Singapore, we have made a very strong uh, commitment to the sanctions imposed uh, uh, by the uh, developed countries. and. We have also uh, promised to do certain other things. Uh, in contrast, uh, people in the media are not happy with what they see to be more generic, uh, generalized statement from other member states of ASEAN. So we in ASEAN cannot tell each other uh, what to say, how to say, unless we all come together and agree to that. Mm. Uh, so for example, South China Sea, uh, tension. Uh, we have all these overlapping claims, uh, competing claims in the South China Sea area. There are specific ASEAN positions because all 10 of us agree on what to say about X, Y, Z regarding the uh, South China Sea. Yeah. So it is a, a unique uh, regional body in the sense that we have what we call the intergovernmental structure. It is no longer uh, uh, suppression of the respective state position or national interest as you see in the European Union. Mm. Uh, 
So how is a how is a secretary general then chosen? Uh, are they elected uh, by whom, and how are they chosen from from where? What pool are they chosen from? The existing protocol is that we have a secretary general that can serve five years in one go, mm -hmm. and we rotate the position according to the alphabetical English alphabetical order of the name of the ASEAN member states. Okay. When I was Secretary General of ASEAN, Singapore is with Alphabet S. Then after my turn, it was someone from Thailand. Mm. After Thailand, it was someone from Vietnam. After Vietnam, we start again from B. The Brunei currently has someone holding the job as ASEAN Secretary General. After him, we'll go to Cambodia because mm. his okay. alphabet in line uh, is Cambodia. Then after Cambodia, we will have Laos. Sorry, we will have Indonesia first. Yeah, so that's how it goes. Uh, five years. It is not so straightforward in the sense that we know who is going to be the next Secretary General. Someone from Singapore, someone from Thailand, someone from Vietnam, whatever. But we do not know who is the actual person to be nominated by the country concern. Ah, so the yeah. country will choose who is going to be the... Yes, yes. Ah, so if it's... somebody, I was nominated by the Singapore government, mm. and then the name was submitted to the uh, uh, ASEAN leaders, and they have the power to say, I don't like this Ong Keng Yong, and oh. he'll give me another name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why we still say that uh, we are elected by the ASEAN leaders. Mm, yeah. I see. Uh, and in the case of Thailand, during my time, after I served my five years, uh, the next Secretary General was uh, former Foreign Minister of Thailand, the late Dr. Surin Biswan. Right? He was a former Foreign Minister of Thailand. I see. The government nominated him. But the process in Thailand also involved looking at the civil society and other interested academics and whatnot. So they had their own internal selection process. And finally, the government of Thailand said, okay, we select. Uh, this one. And then his name was presented to the leaders, and if there is no objection, uh, then it's just selected. I see. Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. object. You can object. In the case of Dr. Surin, there was at one stage uh, some objection from Cambodia. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, because uh, certain people in Cambodia think that Dr. Surin was not friendly to them. Oh. Yeah, but. Then we go into certain uh, lobbying or explanation, in this case by the Thai authorities. Uh, so we as uh, members of the ASEAN Secretariat, uh, we couldn't get involved in this. This was left to the member states. It's the mm. purview of the ministers from the respective uh, member states. So finally, how did Cambodia think he was friendly to them when they said yes? Well, finally, the leadership in uh, Thailand and uh, Cambodia uh, talk to each other and uh, you know, in okay, the spirit of uh, brotherly love, uh, okay. we call it brotherly <laughs> love, <laughs> to one another. So it is a this is a nice uh, um, uh, story in the sense that you know uh, it is not a given. The only thing that is given is that we know who is after this current guy. Mm. So the current Secretary General is from Brunei. So we know the next chap must be from Cambodia. Uh. Who is that? We know. We don't know. Mm. Yeah.
and the Cambodian government will decide who's going to... Yeah, and then after the decision is made by the Cambodian government, the name will be floated around. Mm. And if there is any issue and there is no solution, uh, leaders can actually vote against the guy or the candidate. Mm. Uh, that will be a big news uh, if it happens. Because so far, this has not happened before. There is always brotherly love. Brotherly and, uh, love. <laughs> uh, 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 chit chat behind the closed doors and then something. Pat in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, Ambassador, with your expertise in foreign affairs, your expertise in public policy and in the region itself, can you share with us the relevance of ASEAN as a, as a regional grouping and as an institution and how successful it has been in achieving its goals? Well, the two things that we have to bear in mind is that ASEAN is intergovernmental. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not like the EU mm -hmm. or in, that, uh, in the other case that we have looked at, the African Union. Uh, mm -hmm. They have specific provision in their respective constitution uh, to work together on thorny issues or specific mm -hmm. challenges. We are still 10 different guys sitting around the same table. We agreed to sit together at one round table and we try to find a way to overcome any issues that we don't like about each mm. other. Yeah. So in that respect, uh, like for example, in the current Myanmar crisis, when we really uh, got whacked by our friends in the media and civil society, uh, ASEAN seemed to be at a, a loss as to what to do about the coup d'etat in Myanmar. Mm -hmm. yeah? uh, but at the same time, uh, actually, if you look at all the regional and international organizations, almost every one of them work on the basis of some form of consensus in making decisions. Yeah? So it is not uh, uh, very fair to say that ASEAN as a Southeast Asian regional body we seem to be weak and unable to make concrete decisions going forward. But, but nevertheless, that's where we are. Uh, we continue to try. Yeah. Uh, we think that ASEAN as a whole has a what they call negative public image. Yeah. But in some area, as we have just discussed about the regional comprehensive economic partnership, it is reasonably successful. Mm. And if you look around the ASEAN region, which is Southeast Asia, there are certain success in certain sectors. Yeah? More and more, you see the interaction of younger people across our 10 different boundaries. And they are getting more understanding about how do we work together in order to leverage on each other's strength. Yeah. This is something ongoing. It will take more years to gel together so that we can be effective in a certain troublesome area. But for now, uh, many people in the developed nations as well as in the media, in ASEAN, in Southeast Asia, think that we are weak. But weakness in this case does not mean that we cannot accomplish anything. Of course. Us. Three things that uh, ASEAN can do, which I don't think there is anybody else uh, capable of uh, publishing them. First is that we bundle 10 of us in Southeast Asia together. Mm. Uh, and we have now uh, 
more than a thousand meetings from working group expert to leaders at the summit per year. Mm. So we basically scrutinize one another and look at how we dress, how we eat, uh, how we make decisions on X, Y, Z. Where we can agree with one another, we do it together. Mm. And when that happened, it has been quite a good ride, so to speak. Uh, we got 10 guys from Southeast Asia, 650 million people with a regional economy, uh, number three or number four. Yep. Uh, uh, four, number four. Uh, coming up in a few years' time, we'll be number four in the world after yep. US, China, EU. Yep. So the, uh, the scale is significant, the size of it is significant. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, we also have to deal with uh, uh, challenges like the geopolitical issues. Uh, I mentioned about the Myanmar crisis when the authorities in Myanmar uh, refuse to play ball. There is actually not much leverage we have mm. because uh, we can't say you don't do it. I will send in my peacekeeping force mm. and do it. Whatever you don't like, too bad. Yeah, we don't have that kind of uh, uh, effectiveness. But mm. overall, the most important thing is that ten of us are together, and we are still talking to Myanmar uh, authorities. Yeah, even though uh, we have. Uh, bar them from attending our leaders summit and uh, for ministerial meeting. The second thing is that as the only regional body in Southeast Asia, the big guys like China, Japan, India, the region, basically think that it's easier to work with one entity called ASEAN with 10 guys from Southeast Asia. So in that respect, our relations with uh, uh, the big neighbors, big powers in our region, Indo-Pacific or Asia-Pacific, uh, have been very uh, positive. Mm. Uh, from time to time, we have trouble, yes, but at the end, we will find some processes and some precedent in the past in ASEAN uh, library where we can take up and say, hey, last time we agreed to this one, so why can't we continue to do this? So we make some headway. Uh, and in that respect, many scholars think that through this kind of uh, interaction with regional powers uh, around us, we have achieved a certain level of stability and peace. Yeah. Unfortunately, as we have seen in the case of Myanmar, internal upheaval yeah. uh, yeah. come into uh, the forefront. At the same time, while we are doing this with the regional powers, we are able to reach out to people from the rest of the world. So yeah. the United States of America, EU, uh, Russia, Canada, all these people, they find it very convenient to cooperate with one regional body that can have 10 guys coming together and they can do one big meeting instead of traveling to 10 different cities. Yeah, correct. correct. The value of uh, ASEAN to uh, the United States of America, China, number one and number two economy in the world today is that we can help these countries, these big powers, achieve whatever they wish to do in Southeast Asia, so long as they are peaceful initiative, there are things that will be mutually beneficial. Mm. So if they are in a big conflict and uh, expect us to take one side against the other, then it will be difficult. Yeah. So basically, and the last thing that yeah. we <coughs> have in ASEAN is that, yeah, you will always hear about this centrality of ASEAN. 
Centrality of ASEAN can mean uh, having ASEAN in the center of your agenda, whether you come from mm. India or you come from Russia or Timbuktu. Yeah? Mm. not just simply say, uh, I happen to like Singapore, so my cooperation with ASEAN will always be focused on Singapore. No, you uh, can't do that. Okay. Okay. The ASEAN uh, spread. So you have to look at how uh, you coming to cooperate with Southeast Asian nation, how do you spread around? Yeah? And if possible, we focus on doing something through the ASEAN organization, mm. benefit of regional mm. countries. Mm. Uh, yeah. So these are the kind of things that we believe uh, ASEAN serve a particular purpose. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it may be slow moving in some real crisis situation like what we see in Myanmar and now in Ukraine. But overall, it is, like we say in uh, colloquial terms in uh, interacting among ourselves, yeah. ASEAN officials will say, better than nothing. La. Hmm. Uh, yeah. At least we can come together, uh, even though we are having big political differences, we don't agree with X or Y, uh, we still come together and talk and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. try to engage yeah. those other right. big powers. But most important, do not allow the big guys to come to Southeast Asia and use it like what they did in the 60s and 70s when we had yep. the Vietnam War with the collapse of the Cambodian yep. government. Right, right. Before, you know? right. So right. this is something that uh, uh, we try to elaborate to people who are happy to listen to our a discussion, yeah. yeah. Uh, in unity, you have strength. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, and uh, many people who are more ambitious say that we could have greater strength if we come together as a unified group earlier than later. Yeah, mm, yeah. but you must always remember there are three egos. You no, know? one is you and I. We have our own personal ego. Mm -hmm. Do we want to be part of ASEAN the way it's been designed? Then on top of that, we have the uh, national ego. Uh, as Singapore, should we do this or that? Yeah? Or as Malaysia, should we uh, participate in this or that? Yeah? Then as a regional organization called ASEAN, we also have our ego. Vis-a-vis -vis other regional organizations elsewhere in the world, mm. we wish to be treated with decorum. Uh, and uh, uh, if there is an interest to work with ASEAN, like for example, this RCEP I talked about, okay, we try to negotiate and settle a deal which will benefit all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, my job as a Secretary General is basically uh, as a resource person for the ASEAN ministers and ASEAN leaders, is to keep reporting on all these developments and how we can work together as a grouping to score some good goals as long as a football match. Yeah. Because there's so much potential in the region. Uh, so yes, yes. You this have is to, a thing yeah. that keeps us going, uh, Beatrice. In the last uh, three years or so now, uh, even the pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, the ASEAN economy as a whole mm. is still generally positive. Yeah. And there are big pockets of rather good uh, growth. Yeah. yeah? I mentioned just now about the digital economy. What RCEP has touched on in the digital sector is only a very small percentage of the vast uh, size of the digital uh, uh, economy. Now, 
we have moved on to the next level, which is to say we were trying to do digital economy partnership agreement. Yeah. 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 Uh, how do we write on that? And the other very positive thing, which all the investors from all the big economies of the world have seen in Southeast Asia, is that we are comparatively speaking very IT savvy, very internet connected. Our population is now moving closer to 670 million people as a region. Mm-hmm. And 60% of these big population of these uh, numbers are under 35 years old. And as you can see, anybody under 35 years old, they will have uh, knowledge about using the computer. Uh, they will have a handphone. And nowadays with a uh, handphone, you can do everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, the uh, digital economy, the size of the IT sector, and uh, all, all, all things automated, yeah. uh, they have grown considerably. And instantly, we see a lot more investors coming our way, and the size of the middle class in Southeast Asia has also grown significantly because of this kind of uh, yeah. called bubbling. Uh, 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 developments in the respective Ambassador, just to interrupt you, there's a question that's coming in. I'd like yes. to take this question. It's from Jamie Stevenson. He's saying, Your Excellency, may I ask if you have any thoughts regarding the impacts to ASEAN resulting from this terrible situation in Ukraine and in particular the sanctions against Russia, whereby the removal of the major Russian banks from SWIFT and so on, because a number of nations have significant relations with Russia. And these nations may be adversely affected from an economic perspective. Yeah, I think the important thing is uh, to stay uh, united in our uh, response to the uh, what I call the disregard for international rules and international uh, law. The basic point here is that a big guy go into the home of a small guy uh, and say, I want you to rearrange your kitchen and your furniture in the living room. That's something acceptable to normal human relations. Uh, so if it is not, then how can it be translated to a level of state-to-state uh, relations? Okay. And on top of that, if you don't change your furniture the way I want it in your living room, I will blow up your uh, whatever things you have in your living room. Yeah. Sounds so, like the Iraq war. Yeah, in fact, sounds like every any war. Every invasion, Iraq, any, Israel, any fighting Syria, between the uh, two countries, uh, it's always the ego of one country against the ego of other countries. But okay, if there are no rules and there are no principles, uh, difficult to uh, arrange for a ceasefire or uh, try to uh, reject every uh, problem. But now we are all members of the UN. Yeah, we are members of other regional and sub-regional organizations. And then we all tell each other at all these nice uh, conferences elsewhere, uh, brotherly love is important. We follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, don't punch each other in the face for some simple thing. And suddenly you have this situation where uh, one guy decided to go into another country and blah, blah, blah. So, in terms of the sanctions, we exactly Singapore have US. issued a rather strong statement yeah. or 
in the, in the, in the view of my wife, very strong statement. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, we have to look at Southeast Asia mm. in a different manner that I have described just now, the last uh, 20 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. uh, we are 10 countries mm. uh, between. If you look at our borders of the 10 countries, there is no one country in our region that can say they have problem-free border demarcation That's or right. problem-free boundary between one and another. So how? If we don't maintain the principles of interstate relations, the principle of sovereignty, very soon people will just walk all over each other. So I think ASEAN uh, understand this. We remember we used to handle this problem in the uh, late 70s and throughout the 80s when we have the uh, problem in Cambodia. Uh, but now going forward, what do we do? Uh, okay, some of our countries uh, want to but be a bit I think, more I think the question is like, why uh, do we get involved? You know, like the question is we are ASEAN and that's a fight in Ukraine and Russia. But we are removing the Russian banks from SWIFT. And it, uh, I think the question from Jamie is, it affects businesses in this country. Yeah. So do we really need to get involved and sanction oh, no. it by actually... I mean, I, I don't know where Jamie comes from, where the question comes from, but I am from Singapore, which is a city-state. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you look at the geography of uh, Southeast Asia mm -hmm. and the history of Southeast Asian countries. Uh, small states can easily disappear. Hmm. You look at the history and the geography. In Southeast Asia, you just look at it. How many yeah. small states are there? That's uh, right. It's true. Uh, hmm. You can uh, count on one, one hand. Hmm. And if these small states uh, uh, what they call not doing the thing that the big neighbor like, where we go? Uh, the principle must be established that you don't like each other, but you cannot walk over each other. Uh, so I think there is a significant here. We are not used to the idea that, oh, now we apply sanction. Therefore, uh, Russian uh, business with other people, we cannot use the bank. Sorry, if you are Ukrainian, uh, I don't think you will say this. You will say, well, this guy come over and just destroy my country. And then now what? Uh, I got no firepower. I got nothing else to rely on except this particular uh, device that you call uh, switch uh, uh, rules and uh, transaction. So if the rest of the world feel that on principle, on morality, and on other consideration, this is the way to go, yeah, I think all of us should take a look at this and see how do we measure up. Uh, if you are a big country, you will not be worrying about this. Yeah? But if you are a small country like Singapore, I think uh, many of us Singaporeans will think about it. Uh, uh, just as we are talking, you are from Malaysia and I am in Singapore. Uh, I think if you look at the uh, social media, there are so many exchanges in the last four or five days to talk about how Actually, Singapore Island belongs to Malaysia. And actually, Malaysia and Singapore used to be part of Indonesian Empire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Philippines, they are still claiming Sabah yeah. and so on and so forth. 
Cambodia claimed that certain part belonged to uh, Thailand claimed that certain part of Cambodia belonged to uh, Thailand, not mm. part of Cambodia. If you want to go to one particular temple around the border, in fact, you have to go into Thailand in order to reach that temple situated on the Cambodian territory. So these are things that are still there. Therefore, what I personally feel, I don't know about our policy guys and government officials, but first thing first, what are the principles that we need to coexist? Yeah. We cannot solve this kind of problem because no one will ever voluntarily give up any particular uh, interest or piece of land or uh, particular assets to the other guy. So the way to do it is to apply the necessary law, uh, operational rules and keep our peace and stability. Yeah. So we have so, an unspoken rule among ASEAN member states not to attack each other. <laughs> We, to in the charter that I told you, we have one principle that we will not allow our territory uh, or member state to be used uh, for certain hostile action or anything inimical to the interests yeah. of fellow ASEAN members. So this is a good uh, uh, exposition of what we as individual ASEAN member state mm. uh, are obliged to do. Yeah. So, well, is, the, is that handbook the, easily available uh, in Latin? Yeah, it is. It is in the. It is in the. In the on the web, you can just Google for it. Okay. Uh, everything is is uh, now available on the ASEAN Secretary website. I see. Uh, okay. And, and, and I love the see. color of the book. Is is it green or yellow? It's green. It's green. It's very bright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, actually, I made this decision to have this little green book uh, with these blue words. Blue means the peace, UN color. Uh, and I'm just glad that until now, this was back in 2007, mm. uh, until now, people still maintain this uh, booklet. I think they have printed it many, many times already. But the important thing, coming back to the question here, mm -hmm. is that I feel that we have to uh, separate the emotional issues. Mm. Yeah. I think so too. The, uh, uh, personal consideration mm. from the bigger challenge, which is yeah. the future of interstate coexistence. Uh, because if we don't think about this, uh, we are going to be in very deep trouble water. One example that I always use is that today on the internet is borderless, right? Mm. If I don't know you and we are talking like that, we Think that we are all from uh, maybe the same country or uh, from the same uh, region, uh, but the fact is that we are from different uh, countries, different nationality. And if someone feel that due to a certain aspect of history, uh, there is still a claim against the other guy, and just walking with a tank and the guns, whoa! I don't think there is any more room for <laughs> uh, the kind of uh, uh, international community and a global configuration of countries as we know it. But there has been a lot of wars in the last, I think, at least 20 years. But uh, we didn't take, as, as ASEAN, we didn't take a stance against those countries invading the other countries. But we are taking a stance against Russia. So I think the question here was, does ASEAN Singapore, get involved? We are very consistent between, 
The last time we did this was when there was the uh, military uh, uh, occupation uh, in Cambodia. Uh, mm. ASEAN country at that time, they were, we were ASEAN country at that time. Uh, seven of us, uh, six of us, sorry. Mm. Uh, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, and Brunei. Yeah. We I think yes, against... well, within ASEAN, yes, because that's what we get together for. We have to protect the countries within ASEAN so we don't get infiltrated. But I mean, I think the general, for a business community, you know, getting involved in other people's wars can sometimes be detrimental to the way we run our business. Uh, like I think what, but I mean, I'm going to go past this question, but just like to, to reiterate what I think, like where I think the question came from is like, do we want to get involved in wars that are very far away and we don't really know the origin or the basis of the war because there's always two sides to the story. But when we make a stance on one side and then it affects the businesses in ASEAN, and isn't that our primary uh, role to safeguard businesses and for the people in ASEAN? I, I think totally agree with you on the part about safeguarding our businesses. Mm. Uh, what is business? Business is not your personal, private, uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, domain. You do business because it is profitable for you. You do business because it may be your uh, uh, occupation, your job as a business uh, operator. But business operator need rules and uh, regulation to thrive. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. In the internet world today, we are still looking at how to provide a good regime for governance of the cyber uh, domain and the digital application. Yeah. So if you are saying that uh, because we are in business, and war will affect business. We don't want war. We don't care about the reason why war started. Then I think we are going down very slippery slope because uh, business exists due to the consensus of people for peace, security, and uh, development and progress. If you have a situation where I don't care about uh, a big guy going into a small guy's uh, territory uh, because it's far away, tomorrow it may happen to you. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I think let's reflect on this more carefully. Business is important, yes. Money is important, yes. But business and money uh, can be made again elsewhere. Life once lost, sovereignty once trodden over, you know, come back. Uh, I don't believe a good old Russia uh, dominated the whole uh, part of that geography from time immemorial. It was because of civilizational development. Mm -hmm. There was an empire, and then after some time, empire fall, uh, and all these things. Uh, so we have reached a rather civilized state mm -hmm. of human coexistence. And now we are saying, because we want business to thrive, we don't care about war in faraway places. Oh, I think something is not quite good in our logical uh, 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 frame. Uh, I think we need to think about that. Uh, the ASEAN Charter uh, is a, just a booklet. 
we can just throw it off and say, I don't care. I need to operate uh, from Singapore in order for me to deal with the problem I don't like in Kalimantan or in Sumatra. Huh? You mean that's okay? Mm. Because business will be affected, therefore we don't make a stand. No, I don't agree with that. And I think we can debate this for a long, long time. Yeah, but, but let's now, move on. Let's move on yeah. to the next question. We want to talk to you about you being your role as executive chairman of the Rajaratnam School of International Studies, or shortly known as RSICs. RSIS. What did I say? RSIC. Yeah. RSIS. So, how has your hands on experience in foreign service contributed to your role, Ambassador, as executive chairman of RSIS? And as as its director of the Institute of Defense and Strategic Studies. So I wear three or four hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my wife always asks me how I manage mm-hmm. this kind of uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Today I'm talking to you now in my RSIS premises, and mm-hmm. I'm uh, okay. responding from the basis of my. Uh, uh, work here in the S. Rajaratnam School of International Study. We do a lot of research. Uh, we interact with uh, countries across the world. We are networking with all kinds of other think tanks and universities. Mm-hmm. We are part of the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. So we try our best to look at research. Uh, what are the issues that help us to get better outcome? Uh, for example, I mentioned just now about cyber governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is called the Wild Wild West of the 21st century because there are no rules to govern how you conduct yourself vis-a-vis another uh, party with regard to the use of the uh, internet and whatnot. So we do research uh, and study how other uh, governments have encountered this problem, encountered this problem mm-hmm. and deal with it. And we try to spread the good word about this particular proposal, maybe useful this and that. Yeah. My diplomatic training helped me to be more gentle about uh, my debate with people from the other side of the uh, issue. Yeah. And uh, in my role as director of the Institute of Defense and Strategic Studies, we do a lot of research on what you see now in uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they engage in cyber warfare. Uh, they engage in what we call kinetic warfare, using the tanks, using the airplane to attack uh, civilian targets, this and that. So, what kind of rules, what kind of preparation we have to make in order to establish a semblance of humane, uh, civilizational uh, coexistence? So, to this school, is named after S. Rajaratnam. Could you tell our audience who he was? Well, he was the former uh, foreign minister of Singapore. In fact, our first foreign minister. He was uh, a compatriot of uh, Lee Kuan Yew. People know Lee Kuan Yew better than S. Rajaratnam because yeah. as a foreign minister, you know, yeah. he covered uh, foreign affairs, yeah. and, uh, uh, political issues in Singapore and uh, Elsewhere in our you know, uh, political sphere, may not be directly uh, bringing uh, S. Rajaratnam into contact with the readers or your listeners. 
but he uh, was uh, part of the PAP government, first generation of leaders. <clears throat> he established a uh, very good uh, uh, position on foreign policy issues, mm -hmm. and he articulated his uh, ideas quite uh, well, and uh, he got uh, uh, a very good... Uh, did he start the school uh, ambassador? Or was it named after him, or did he start? We named, after, we named the school after him ah, uh, in 2006. Yeah. Mm, so the reason why we named after Eswatharanam, of course, is that we, in our international studies, in our research on all these issues that we have been talking about, mm. uh, he has always got some uh, input in his uh, writing, in his uh, speeches, mm -hmm. uh, and he had basically established a very good set of principles for okay. of diplomacy, uh, especially for a small state like Singapore, existing in a big neighborhood like Southeast Asia or uh, East Asian, mm. Indo-Pacific or Asia-Pacific region. I see. So, uh, so he was a legend in that field, I guess, in his sphere. Yes, yes, yes. He's a legend. And you know, if you look, uh, you Google his name, you will find that he was at the forefront of uh, uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Oh, okay. 1988, yes. Hmm. And uh, he led the campaign against the uh, Cambodian uh, crisis mm -hmm. and he maintained the seat of uh, DK, Democratic Kampuchea, hmm. uh, which was the government that was imposed I uh, see. by the uh, Civil uh, War in uh, Cambodia. Mm. So all these things uh, establish him as a, a giant among uh, foreign policy thinkers in our region uh, over the past so many decades. Uh, when we read his uh, speeches and his uh, uh, other ideas, uh, he was really very uh, foresightful, looked forward. Mm. Uh, and the more important thing, Beatrice, is that he is a. Uh, he was the strongest advocate uh, of a multi-racial and multi-ethnic uh, religious support. Yes, I think <clears> Singapore has done national, really well with that. He told us all to adhere to this idea of coexistence, multi-cultural, mm. uh, multi-religious, multi-whatever. Mm. Uh, yes, because you you know Singapore is just a small city state with. Uh, 5 million people and we come from different religious background yes, and in yes. fact various research uh, organization in the western world describe Singapore as the most religiously composed society in the international community. Actually, so, it is, every religion yeah. you can find in Singapore. Yeah and uh, I w that's, that's another question I wanted to ask you because I think you must be very proud to be Singaporean because even we, anyone looks at Singapore and sees it's really a thriving ecosystem of multiple religions and races and that's so, uh, almost fair equity for all. And you've pulled it off, you know, very well. <laughs> well, I must confess that it requires a lot of work. I'm not in yeah. government, but when we do our research, uh, we just look at the enormity of uh, uh, the kind of uh, undertaking mm. uh, whoever is in charge has to and I think consistency in your leadership is also a key part of it. Would yeah. you agree, Ambassador? Yes, I agree. But I think what is more important to me 
for the Singapore DNA, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Number one, we are always looking at the future. Okay. Yeah? Mm. Because uh, yes. in order for any government to stay in office, you have to give your citizen, your voter, a good hope of what is to come. Absolutely, uh, right. So this government is absolutely committed to the future. Yes. Today we are talking about carbon tax and uh, uh, what we call renewable energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, that is 15, 20 years down the road, but we are already doing all these things in order to prepare our future generation for a good living in Singapore. So, for us, uh, we, for me in particular, I believe that the uh, really special ingredient of this Singapore governmental system is its constant devotion to what will happen in the future to our yes. country. It's, it has and how do we ensure yes. that we survive as a country? Hmm. So we talk about you know uh, changing climate. Yeah. Talk about education. How do we become relevant? Yeah. And now we have a big problem in Singapore society. Mm -hmm. uh, we are aging rapidly. We don't have enough uh, young Singaporean to replace those that pass on. Yeah. So what do we do? We look at bringing in uh, foreign workers, foreign uh, talent, yeah. as we call them. Uh, but to do so means that it will disrupt our society, That's right. our construct in this small island city, city island, small island city state. Yeah. So we have to start looking at all this. But every step of the way, we have to think of one thing: the four-letter word, which I call H O P E O. You have to give people hope. You got uh, me scared there, Ambassador. Huh? <laughs> you got me scared there for a while. And he said uh, four-letter uh, word. Uh, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, love is also a four-letter word. Uh, yes. Uh, true. But for political uh, leadership, hope is very important. Yes, it's, it's true. I, I agree think, with you. Uh, you, you, you. If you give people hope, you give people the sense that there is a good future, uh, they will continue to do what you think uh, may be impossible, but they will do because uh, they want their children, they want the next generation to get something better than what they have yeah. gone through. Yes. So this is a little uh, a wonderful uh, uh, characteristics of S. Rajaratnam. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about problems of the Cold War. Mm. Uh, he talks a lot about the problem of the Cold War, the implication, what the future will be. But we offer a certain suggestion and uh, how we organize ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, uh, fortunately, we have Lee Kuan Yew and other cabinet members who come together mm. to look at the other aspect of it. So, mm. yeah. the economy, the social issues. And I think at the end, you mentioned something about leadership. Mm. Uh, consistency in leadership. Yeah, consistency, yeah. Mm. I think that is really uh, 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 important element. Yeah. Uh, really, the goal must be to give hope uh, to achieve that kind of uh, hopeful uh, uh, notion that you have. Uh, and then we sit down and say, what do we do to 
ensure that this hope does not evaporate like uh, air. I think that's what keeps people together. There's hope for a better tomorrow for all of us. But yes. if there was one singular thing that uh, you, in your own opinion, you would think that that's what has made Singapore such a spectacular success, uh, not just in Southeast Asia, but in the whole world, it's a shining example of a very successful country. If you look back at where it came from to where it is right now, what do you think is that one, one winning formula that Singapore used that made it such a success? I believe that you have to gain the trust of the people in your society, in your country. Uh, mm. when, uh, when my generation talked to the older generation of parents, why did you uh, give support to the Lee Kuan Yew government mm. Yeah, mm. and uh, develop Singapore to this level? Uh, the answer would always be, well, his suggestion or the government's uh, proposal looks sensible, mm. give us a good sense of what we can do. You can justify it in the to future, the and then uh, they deliver. Yeah. So That's the important. important thing, whether you are in business or in academia or whatever, don't overpromise. Uh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Don't overpromise and do what you promise to do. Yeah. So I believe most of the international polling done in Singapore uh, show that Singaporeans are generally still trust uh, uh, trustful of the government. Uh, the government is trustworthy. It still maintain a high percentage of uh, support for the government based on the confidence that government will deliver what it promised to do. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, in this process, our government leaders tend to become more conscious. Mm, that's good. Maybe anxious. <laughs> uh, so feel pressured. Uh, 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 you know, these days you hear Singaporean, older Singaporean. I think all the younger leaders tend to be a bit too, what they call, chicken-hearted, you know. Uh, <laughs> but the fact is that they are uh, trying to get into a big shoe. A big mm, pair of shoes. You're right. A pair of big shoes, sorry. Yeah. They're trying to get into a Absolutely pair of big shoes. Right. And they yeah. have to live but, up to uh, it. Ultimately, the important thing is that uh, the citizen here may grumble, or the resident and citizen of here in Singapore may grumble about government policy and that. But at the end of the day, they are prepared to say, okay, if I do this, you give me what you promise to deliver, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. Uh, so far, the <laughs> equation still seems positive. Uh, uh, you trust me, allow me to do this, this is, uh, these are the goodies you get. Uh, if this goodies part become uh, less obvious, uh, then the trust will start to evaporate and then we will have issues. But so far, uh, based on this trustworthiness, the leaders in the uh, government here build on other ideas. Mm. Yeah. The reason why we are successful is because we work together, regardless of race, language or religion. Mm. So why bother to create new uh, divides among our existing population? Yeah. Yeah. It's just an accommodation of one another. Yeah. Okay. So, this kind of constant messaging is important. Yes, you're right. I, I find that, you know, uh, some of my foreign researcher friends in our school tend to say, oh, the government of Singapore tend to overreact and tend to be afraid to lose out on every little small things. Mm. I say, yes, but then 
huh? they have a third record to demonstrate that they have to be like that in order to deliver the goods and to retain the trust of the uh, population in Singapore. Yes, very well explained, Ambassador. Excellent explanation. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and last question, I think this is such an exciting dialogue. We actually went the longest time. I think this is the longest session we've had with any interview because you were so interesting with all the way you've explained everything. Uh, so I have one last question. Uh, what, how do you think a private business entity like Voice of ASEAN, which aims to bring the business community together, make a difference in any way compared to all that's been done? Well, I think, as I always say to each their own, but in my encounter at the ASEAN uh, level, and even here in Singapore with my own colleagues and members, I think there are three simple uh, words. Uh. Mm -hmm. One is that you have to be uh, reliable. Uh, Sorry, I didn't get you. To be reliable. You have to be reliable. Reliable. Don't yeah. overpromise. Mm -hmm. Don't don't say I can do this and then uh, you uh, fail to deliver. Yeah. Uh, then of course you, you have to be relevant. Uh, your organization is devoted to uh, getting better public understanding of all these complicated issues. Yeah. So you need to get the right people to explain in an objective manner. Uh, it is almost difficult to say valueless. Every one of us has a value. Mm. But try your best uh, to explain the situation in a fairly uh, coherent and yes. uh, uh, non-ideological exactly. way. And in that process, people say you are actually, uh, uh, it, it is very educational to listen to you or work with you. Uh, so you have to be relevant. Uh, uh, you know, you see many business uh, reports some of them telling us why company fail. If you are good in making shoes, suddenly you want to make cosmetic. Does it make sense? Mm. Yeah. Uh, or in other contexts, uh, you overextended. These days, this is very, very likely to be the case because everything is online. Mm. So you say, well, I use all this uh, idea to promote my, my, my book publishing business. Yeah. Then the next step, maybe I can make a movie. Mm. Uh, I can produce musical and do concert, publishing books, and doing all these other things that you may have in mind are two different things. So unless you have a bottomless uh, bucket of money, you indulge in your fancies. Mm. But otherwise, stay to the main business. Uh, be reliable to all your partners. Then the last R really is the rich. You have to find your rich. Uh, Singapore is a very small market, we know. Mm. Uh, Malaysia is quite a big market. Yeah. However, the market is segmented into many different uh, characteristics. So at the end of the day, it is not as big as Singapore. Because if you have a big country with a big population, but multi-segmented, multi-fragmented, mm, that's true. Uh, in the end, is a net out. That's it's true. not a very big market. So you have to be alert in uh, appreciating all this. Yes. Uh, and uh, there's uh, a fourth element, ambassador. Yes. Brotherly love. 
Brotherly love, yeah. yeah. Love is a four-letter word which people sometimes forget because uh, love is a freaking thing. Yes. Yeah. And their hope is always getting better than uh, whatever they have in their hand. So yes. uh, it's dangerous. But I think uh, many of the business examples that uh, we have in ASEAN, ASEAN has basically fostered the growth of many small companies mm. in our region. Look around. There are examples in Malaysia, examples in all over the world. Uh, uh, if you look at all these uh, startups in uh, Indonesia, never have people imagined the potential there. In Singapore, we are small uh, food uh, retailer that grows so big because they capitalize on uh, the asset market and then they make themselves relevant. Uh, the mistake that one make, if I may be bold enough to make this, uh, Malaysian thing that yeah, Bahasa Malaysia, Malaysian language, is appreciated by everybody in Indonesia. So when they set up the business in Indonesia, uh, they just use the Bahasa Malaysia, mm -hmm. which is different from Bahasa Indonesia. Right. And when I was in uh, ASEAN Secretary for five years, my Indonesian staff will always say, Alama, this one, uh, uh, it's Bahasa Malaysia. Lah. Mm. You know, we use Bahasa Indonesia, which consists of a lot of Javanese yeah. local terms, yeah. uh, Dutch terms, uh, and Dutch and the British don't mix. Yeah. Uh, Malaysia is a lot of British heritage, British yeah. uh, background. So when I ask somebody and say, hey, you need to change your description of what is the ingredient inside this packaging. Mm -hmm. Or in Bahasa Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, I say, Bahasa Malaysia, same same with Bahasa Indonesia. But I said, no, if you go down to the market and survey, they'll tell you, uh, you in Malaysia say Malaysia Boleh. Uh, <laughs> in Indonesia, they ask you, Visa. Mm. Uh, everybody thought that you need a V-I-S-A. And uh, it, it visa means that travel or Visa card. But actually, uh, that is the Indonesian word for Boleh. Yeah. So yeah. it is important uh, to not to take any of these cultural uh, differences. differences for granted yeah. Yeah, and ask yourself, what is it that I need to do to make my customer in Indonesia feel comfortable with this Malaysian company which produce halal food which can be consumed by the huge population of Indonesian Muslims. Mm. But they will tell you, the Indonesian Muslims say, uh, this one comes from Malaysia. They don't even bother to change their... Uh, ingredient description. Why bother to buy them? Mm. Ah, yeah. This is a very practical example, but I use this example because it has been mentioned to me many times. That's true. You people take us for granted, eh? In Indonesia, uh, Singapore, you like to speak English or you speak Chinese in front of us. You don't want to learn about Bahasa Indonesia. <laughs> uh, and when I ask whether visa can or not, you thought that I'm talking about a visa card or can I have a visa <laughs> chop on my passport? <laughs> So these are things that we picked up along the way. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Thank I think you. I said too much already. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ambassador. It was wonderful talking to you. Follow okay. us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and our website to keep up to date with our upcoming shows. Voice of ASEAN thanks all of you today for your time and we'll be uploading a recorded version of this dialogue in our portal for those who missed it. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. See you soon.